Act Three of The Widowing of Mrs. Holroyd by D. H. Lawrence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Third Act. Scene the same. Time the following evening, about seven o'clock. The table is half laid with a large cup and saucer, plate, etc., ready for Holroyd's dinner which, like all miners, he has when he comes home between four and five o'clock. On the other half of the table, Mrs. Holroyd is ironing. On the hearth stands newly baked loaves of bread. The irons hang at the fire. Jack, with a bowler hat hanging at the back of his head, parades up to the sofa, on which stands Minnie engaged in dusting a picture. She has a soiled white apron tied behind her to make a long skirt. Good morning, missus. Any scissors or knives to grind? Minnie, peering down from the sofa. Oh, I can't be bothered to come downstairs. Call another day. I shan't. Minnie, keeping up her part. Well, I can't come down now. Jack stands irresolute. Go on. You have to go and steal the baby. I'm not. Well, you can steal the eggs out of the fowl house. I'm not. Then I shan't play with you. Jack takes off his bowler hat and flings it on the sofa. Tears come in Minnie's eyes. Now I'm not friends. She surveys him ruefully. After a few moments of silence, she clambers down and goes to her mother. Ma'am, he won't play with me. Mrs. Holroyd, crassly. Why don't you play with her? If you begin bothering, you must go to bed. Well, I don't want to play. Then you must go to bed. I don't want to. Then what do you want, I should like to know? I wish my father'd come. I do. I suppose he thinks he's paying me out. This is the third time this week he's slunk past the door and gone down to old Brinsley instead of coming into his dinner. He'll be as drunk as a lord when he does come. The children look at her plaintively. Isn't he a nuisance? I hate him. I wish he'd dropped down the pit shaft. Jack, I never heard such a thing in my life. You mustn't say such things. It's wicked. Well, I do. Mrs. Holroyd, loudly. I won't have it. He's your father, remember? Jack, in a high voice. Well, he's always coming home and shouting and banging on the table. He's getting tearful and defiant. Well, you mustn't take any notice of him. Minnie, wistfully. Happen if you said something nice to him, mother. He'd happen to go to bed and not shout. I'd hit him in the mouth. Perhaps we'll go to another country away from him, should we? In a ship, mother? In a ship, ma'am? Yes, in a big ship where it's blue sky and water and palm trees and... And dates. When should we go? Someday. But who'd work for us? Who should we have for father? You don't want a father. I can go to work for us. I've got a lot of money now that your uncle left me. Minnie, after a general thoughtful silence. And would my father stop here? Oh, he'd be all right. But who would he live with? I don't know. One of his paper bonnets, if he likes. Then she could have her old bracelet back, couldn't she? 
Yes, there it is on the candlestick waiting for her. There is a sound of footsteps, then a knock at the door. The children start. Minnie, in relief. Here he is. Mrs. Holroyd goes to the door. Blackmore enters. It is foggy tonight. Hello, aren't you youngsters gone to bed? No, my father's not come home yet. Blackmore, turning to Mrs. Holroyd. Did he go to work then, after last night? I suppose so. His pit things were gone when I got up. I never thought he'd go. And he took his snap as usual? Yes, just as usual. I suppose he's gone to the new inn. He'd say to himself he'd pay me out. That's what he always does say. I'll pay thee up for that bit. I'll make thee regret it. We're going to leave him. So you think he's at the new inn? I'm sure he is. He'll come when he's full. He'll have a bout now, you'll see. Go and fetch him, Mr. Blackmore. My mother says we shall go in a ship and leave him. Blackmore, after looking keenly at Jack, to Mrs. Holroyd. Shall I go and see if he's at the new inn? No, perhaps you'd better not. Oh, he shan't see me. I can easily manage that. Fetch him, Mr. Blackmore. All right, Jack. To Mrs. Holroyd. Shall I? We're always pulling on you, but yes, do. Blackmore goes out. I wonder how long he'll be. You come and go to bed now. You'd better be out of the way when he comes in. And you won't say anything to him, mother, will you? What do you mean? You won't begin of him, row him. Is he to have all his own way? What would he be like if I didn't row him? But it doesn't matter, mother, if we're going to leave him. But Mr. Blackmore'll come back, won't he, ma'am? And Dad won't shout before him. Mrs. Holroyd, beginning to undress the children. Yes, he'll come back. Ma'am, could I have that bracelet to go to bed with? Come and say your prayers. They kneel, muttering in their mother's apron. Minnie, suddenly lifting her head. Can I, ma'am? Mrs. Holroyd, trying to be stern. Have you finished your prayers? Yes. If you want it, beastly thing. She reaches the bracelet down from the mantelpiece. Your father must have put it up there. I don't know where I left it. Suppose he'd think I was proud of it and wanted it for an ornament. Minnie gloats over it. Mrs. Holroyd lights a candle and they go upstairs. After a few moments, the outer door opens and there enters an old woman. She is of middling stature and wears a large gray shawl over her head. After glancing sharply round the room, she advances to the fire, warms herself, then, taking off her shawl, sits in the rocking chair. As she hears Mrs. Holroyd's footsteps, she folds her hands and puts on a lachrymose expression, turning down the corners of her mouth and arching her eyebrows. Hello, mother. Is it you? Yes, it's me. Haven't you finished ironing? Not yet. You'll have your irons red hot. Yes, I shall have to stand them to cool. She does so, and moves about at her ironing. And you don't know what's become of Charles? Well, he's not come home from work yet. I suppose he was at the new inn. Why? Ah, that young electrician come knocking, asking if I knew where he was. Eh? I said. I've not set eyes on him for over a week, nor his wife neither, though they pass the garden gate every time they go out. 
I know naught on him. I asked him what was the matter, so he said Mrs. Holroyd was anxious because he'd not come home, so I thought I'd better come and see. Is there anything up? No more than I've told you. It's a rum on if he's neither in the new inn nor the Prince of Wales. I suppose something you've done set him off. It's nothing I've done. Eh, if he's gone off and left you, whatever shall we do? Whatever have you been doing? He brought a couple of bright daisies here last night, two of those trollops from Nottingham, and I said I'd not have it. Grandmother, sighing deeply. Aye, you've never been able to agree. We agreed well enough, except when he drank like a fish and came home rolling. Grandmother, whining. Well, what can you expect of a man as has been shut up in the pit all day? He must have a bit of relaxation. He can have it different from that, then. At any rate, I'm sick of it. Hey, you've a stiff neck, but it'll be bowed by your my age. Will it? I'd rather it were broke. Well, there's no telling what a jealous man will do. She shakes her head. Nay, I think it's my place to be jealous when he brings a brazen hussy here and sits carrying on with her. He'd no business to do that. But you know, Lizzie, he's got something on his side. What, pray? Well, I don't want to make any mischief, but you're my son's wife and it's nothing but my duty to tell you. They've been saying a long time now as that young electrician is here a bit too often. He doesn't come for my asking. No, I don't suppose he wants for asking. But Charlie's not the man to put up with that sort of work. Charlie put up with it. If he's anything to say, why doesn't he say it without going to other folks? Charlie's never been near me with a word, nor has he said a word elsewhere to my knowledge. For all that, this is going to end with trouble. In this hole, every gossiping creature thinks she's got the right to cackle about you. Sickening. And a parcel of lies. Well, Lizzie, I've never said anything against you. Charlie's been a handful of trouble. He made my heart ache once or twice before you had him, and he's made it ache many, many's the time since. But it's not all on his side, you know. Mrs. Holroyd, hotly. No, I don't know. You thought yourself above him, Lizzie, and you know he's not the man to stand it. No, he's run away from it. Grandmother, venomously. And what man wouldn't leave a woman that allowed him to live on sufferance in the home with her when he was bringing the money home? Sufferance? Yes, there's been a lot of letting him live on sufferance in the house with me. It is I who have lived on sufferance for his service and pleasure. No, what he wanted was the drink and the public house company. And because he couldn't get them here, he went out for them. That's all. You have always been very clever at hitting things off, Lizzie. I was always sorry my youngest son married a clever woman. He only wanted a bit of coaxing and managing, and you clever women won't do it. He wanted a slave, not a wife. It's a pity your stomach wasn't too high for him before you had him. But no, you could have eaten him ravishing at one time. It's a pity you didn't tell me what he was before I had him. But oh, he was all angel. You left me to find out what he really was. Some women could have lived with him happy enough. And a fat lot you'd have thanked me for my telling. 
There is a knock at the door. Mrs. Holroyd opens. They tell me, missus, as your maester's not home yet. No. Who is it? Ask him to step inside. Don't stand there letting the fog in. Wrigley steps in. He is a tall, bony, very roughly hewn collier. Good evening. Oh, is it you, Mr. Ridgely? In a querulous, spiteful tone to Mrs. Holroyd. He butties along with Charlie. Oh. And then you seen that on him? No. Was he all right at work? Well, it were not to mention. A bit short-like. and much to say. I cannot make out what he's done with self. He is manifestly uneasy. Does not look at the two women. And did he come up with the same bantle with you? No, he didn't. As I was coming out of the stall, I shouted, I'm coming, Charlie. We're off. And he said, I'm coming in a minute. He were just finishing a stint like, and he wanted to get it set. And he'd been a bit roughish in his temper like, so I thought he didn't want to walk to the bottom with us. Grandmother, wailing. And what's he gone and done to himself? Nay, missus, you mustn't ask me that. He's not done out as I know on. Only I were thinking, something had happened to him, like, seeing as nobody's had any knowledge of him coming up. What is the matter, Mr. Wrigley? Tell us it out. I cannot do that, missus. It seems as if he never come up to pit, as far as we can make out. Happen a bit of stuff fell and pinned him. Grandmother, wailing. And have you left him lying down there in the pit, poor thing? Wrigley, uneasily. I couldn't say for certain where he is. Mrs. Holroyd, agitated. Oh, it's very likely not very bad, mother. Don't let us run to meet trouble. We have to hope for the best, missus, on all of us. Grandmother. Wailing. Eh, they'll bring him home. I know they will. Smashed up and broke. And one of my sons they've burnt down pit till the flesh dropped off him. And one was shot till his shoulder was all of a mush. And they brought him home to me. And now there's this. Mrs. Holroyd, shuddering. Oh, don't, mother. Appealingly to Wrigley. You don't know that he's hurt. Wrigley. Shaking his head. I cannot tell you. Mrs. Holroyd, in a high hysterical voice. Then what is it? Wrigley, very uneasy. I cannot tell you, but young, young electrician, Mr. Blackmore, he rung down to the night deputy, and it seems as though there's been a fall or summit. Eh, Lizzie, you parted from him in anger. You little know it, how do you meet him again? Wrigley. Making an effort. Well, I'd happen best be going to see what's betide. He goes out. I'm sure I've had my share of bad luck, I have. I'm sure I've brought up five lads in the pit through accidents and troubles. And now there's this. The Lord has treated me very hard. Very hard. It's a blessing, Lizzie, as you've got a bit of money. Else what would have become of the children? Well, if he's badly hurt, there'll be the union pay and sick pay. We shall manage, and perhaps it's not very much. There's no knowing. 
but what they'll be carrying him to die at the hospital oh don't say so mother it won't be so bad you'll see how much money have you lizzie come in i don't know not much over a hundred pounds grandmother shaking her head and what's that what's that mrs holroyd sharply hush grandmother crying why what mrs holroyd opens the door in the silence can be heard the pulsing of the fan engine then the driving engine chuffs rapidly there is a sure of brakes on the rope as it descends that's twice they've sent the chair down i wish we could see hark what is it yes it's stopped at the gate it's the doctor's grandmother coming to the door what lizzie the doctor's motor she listens acutely dare you stop here mother while i run up to the top and see you'd better not go lizzie you'd better not a woman's best to wait it is unbearable to wait come in and shut the door it's a cold that gets in your bones she goes in perhaps while he's in bed we shall have time to change him it's an ill wind brings no good he'll happen be a better man well you can but try many a woman's thought the same oh dear i wish somebody would come he's never been hurt since we were married no he's never had a bad accident all the years he's been in the pit he's been luckier than most but everybody has it sooner or later mrs holroyd shivering it is a horrid night grandmother querulous yes come your ways in hark there is a quick sound of footsteps blackmore comes into the light of the doorway they're bringing him mrs holroyd quickly putting her hand over her breast what is it you can't tell anything's the matter with him it's not marked him at all oh what a blessing and is it much well what is it it's the worst who is it what does he say mrs holroyd sinks on the nearest chair with a horrified expression blackmore pulls himself together and enters he is very pale i came to tell you they're bringing him home and you said it wasn't very bad did you no i said it was as bad as it could be mrs holroyd rising and crossing to her mother-in-law flings her arms round her in a high voice oh mother what shall we do what shall we do you don't mean to say he's dead yes grandmother staring god help us and how was it some stuff fell grandmother rocking herself and her daughter-in-law both weeping oh god have mercy on us oh god have mercy on us some stuff fell on him and he'd not even time to cry for mercy oh god spare him oh what shall we do for comfort to be taken straight out of his sins oh lizzie to think he should be cut off in his wickedness he's been a bad lad of late he has poor lamb he's gone very wrong of late years poor dear lamb very wrong oh lizzie what's to become of him now if only you'd have tried to be different with him mrs holroyd moaning don't mother don't i can't bear it 
Blackmore, cold and clear. Where will you have him laid? The men will be here in a moment. Mrs. Holroyd, starting up. They can carry him up to bed. It's no good taking him upstairs. You'll have to wash him and lay him out. Mrs. Holroyd, startled. Well, he's in his pit, Dirt. He is, bless him. We'd better have him down here, Lizzie, where we can handle him. Yes. She begins to put the tea things away, but drops the sugar out of the basin, and the lumps fly broadcast. Never mind, I'll pick those up. You put the children's clothes away. Mrs. Holroyd stares witless around. The grandmother sits rocking herself and weeping. Blackmore clears the table, putting the pots in the scullery. He folds the white tablecloth and pulls back the table. The door opens. Mrs. Holroyd utters a cry. Wrigley enters. They're bringing him now, Mrs. Oh. Wrigley. Simply. There must have been a fall directly after we left him. Mrs. Holroyd, frowning, horrified. No, no. Wrigley, to Blackmore. It fell back at him and shot him in as you might shut a loaf into oven. It never touched him. Mrs. Holroyd, staring distractedly. Well, then. You see, it come on him as close as a trap on a mouse, and get him no air, and what with the gas, it, it smothered him. And it wouldn't be so very long about it, neither. Mrs. Holroyd, quiet with horror. Oh. Oh, dear, dear. Oh, dear, dear. Wrigley, looking hard at her. I was not to know what had happened. Grandmother, not heeding him, but weeping all the time. But the Lord gave him time to repent. He'd have a few minutes to repent. Aye, I hope he did, I hope he did. Else what was to become of him? The Lord cut him off in his sins, but he gave him time to repent. Wrigley looks away at the wall. Blackmore has made a space in the middle of the floor. If you'll take the rocking chair off the end of the rug, Mrs. Holroyd, I can pull it back a bit from the fire and we can lay him on that. Grandmother, petulantly. What's the good of messing about? She moves. It suffocated him. Wrigley, shaking his head, briefly. Yes, and the after-damp. He'd be dead in a few minutes. No, oh, think. You mustn't think. Wrigley, suddenly. They're coming. Mrs. Holroyd stands at bay. The grandmother half-rises. Wrigley and Blackmore face themselves as much as possible. A man backs into the room, bearing the feet of the dead man, which are shot in great pit boots. As the head-bearer comes awkwardly past the table, the coat with which the body is covered slips off, revealing Holroyd in his pit dirt, naked to the waist. Manager. A little stout, white-bearded man. Mind now, mind. Aye, missus. What a job, indeed it is. Sharply. Where mun they put him? Mrs. Holroyd, turning her face aside from the corpse. Lay him on the rug. Steady now. Do it steady. Second bearer, rising and pressing back his shoulders. But guy, but he's heavy. Hey, Joe, I'll back my life of that. 
ah mr chambers what's this affliction on my old age you kept your sons out o the pit but all mine's in and to think of the trouble i've had to think of the trouble that's come out of brinsley pit to me it has that it has that missus you seem to have had more on your share i'll admit it you have mrs holroyd who has been staring at the men it is too much blackmore frowns wrigley glowers at her you never knowed such a thing in your life here's a man holding a stint just finishing he puts himself as if in the holder's position gesticulating freely and a lot of stuff falls behind him clean as a whistle shuts him up safe as a worm in a nut and never touches him never knowed such a thing in your life oh it never hurt him never touched him yes but but how long would he be she makes a sweeping gesture the manager looks at her and will not help her out how long would it take to oh to to kill him nay i can't tell ye he didn't seem to have strived much to get out did he joe now nah, not as far as i'm saying you look at his hands you'll see then he'd not high room to swing the pick the manager goes on his knees mrs holroyd shuddering oh don't ay the nails is broken a bit mrs holroyd clenching her fists don't he'd be sure to make a bit of a fight but the gas would soon get hold of him ay it's an awful thing to think of it is indeed mrs holroyd her voice breaking i can't bear it eh dear we none on us know what's coming next mrs holroyd getting hysterical oh it's too awful it's too awful you'll disturb the children and you don't want them down here he'd no business to have been left you know and what man does think we're going to sit down on his hams and wait for a chap as wouldn't say thank you for his company he'd been ready to fall out with the flicker of the candle so who does think we're going to stop when we knowed he'd only kept on so as to get shot of us that's quite right bill quite right but there you are and if we'd stop what good would that done no happen not happen not for not known i'm saying not again thee neither one road nor the other there is general silence then to mrs holroyd i should think the inquest will be the new inn tomorrow missus i'll let you know will there have to be an inquest yes there'll have to be an inquest shall you want anybody in to stop with you tonight no well then we'd best be going i'll send my missus down first thing in the morning it's a bad job a bad job it is you'll be all right then yes well good night then good night all good night good night good night good night
Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. The manager, followed by the two bearers, goes out, closing the door. It's like this, Mrs. I should never have gone if he hadn't wanted us to. Yes, I know. He wanted to come up by sin. Mrs. Holroyd, wearily. I know how it was, Mr. Wrigley. Yes. Nobody could foresee. Wrigley, shaking his head. No, if there's that missus as you want. Yes, I think there isn't anything. Wrigley, after a moment. Well, good night. I've worked in the same store for four years now. Yes. Well, good night, missus. Good night. Good night. The grandmother all this time has been rocking herself to and fro, moaning and murmuring beside the dead man. When Wrigley has gone, Mrs. Holroyd stands staring distractedly before her. She has not yet looked at her husband. Have you got the things ready, Lizzie? What things? To lay the child out. Mrs. Holroyd, she shudders. No, what? Haven't you put him by a pair of white stockings, nor a white shirt? He's got a white cricketing shirt, but not white stockings. Then he'll have to have his father's. Let me look at the shirt, Lizzie. Mrs. Holroyd takes one from the dresser drawer. This'll never do. An old canvas thing with a turned-down collar. As left to fetch his father's. Suddenly... You don't want no other woman to touch him, to wash him and lay him out, do you? Mrs. Holroyd, weeping. No. Then I'll fetch him his father's gear. We mustn't let him set. He'll be that heavy, bless him. She takes her shawl. I shan't be more than a few minutes, and the young fellow can stop here till I come back. Can't I go for you, Mrs. Holroyd? No. You couldn't find the things. We'll wash him as soon as I get back, Lizzie. All right. She watches her mother-in-law go out. Then she starts, goes in the scullery for a bowl, in which she pours warm water. She takes a flannel and soap and towel. She stands, afraid to go any farther. Well. This is a judgment on us. Why? On me it is. How? It is. Blackmore shakes his head. Yesterday you talked of murdering him. Well, now we've done it. How? He'd have come up with the others if he hadn't felt felt me murdering him. But we can't help it. It's my fault. Don't be like that. Mrs. Holroyd, looking at him, then indicating her husband. I daren't see him. No? I've killed him, that is all. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. We couldn't help it. If he hadn't felt, if he hadn't known, he wouldn't have stayed, he'd have come up with the rest. Well, and even if it was so, we can't help it now. But we've killed him. <sighs> I'm tired. Yes. Blackmore, after a pause. Shall I stay? I, I daren't be alone with him. Blackmore, sitting down. No. I don't love him. Now he's dead. I don't love him. He lies like he did yesterday. I suppose, being dead, I don't know. I think he'd better go. Blackmore, rising. Tell me. Yes. 
You want me to go? No, but do go. They look at each other. I shall come tomorrow. He goes out. Mrs. Holroyd stands very stiff, as if afraid of the dead man. Then she stoops down and begins to sponge his face, talking to him. My dear, my dear, oh, my dear, I can't bear it, my dear. You shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have done it. Oh, I can't bear it for you. Why couldn't I do anything for you, the children's father? My dear, I wasn't good to you. But you shouldn't have done this to me. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Did it hurt you? Oh, my dear, it hurt you. Oh, I can't bear it. No, things aren't fair. We went wrong, my dear. I never loved you enough. I never did. What a shame for you. It was a shame. But you didn't... You didn't try. I would have loved you. I tried hard. What a shame for you. It was so cruel for you. You couldn't help it, my dear, my dear. You couldn't help it. And I can't do anything for you, and it hurt you so. She weeps bitterly, so her tears fall on the dead man's face. Suddenly she kisses him. My dear, my dear, what can I do for you? What can I? She weeps as she wipes his face gently. Grandmother enters, puts a bundle on the table, takes off her shawl. You're not all by yourself? Yes. It's a wonder you're not frightened. You've not washed his face. Why should I be afraid of him? Now, mother. Grandmother, weeping. I, poor lamb, I can't see as ever you could have had reason to be frightened of him, Lizzie. Yes, once. Oh, but he went wrong. And he was a taking lad as ever was. She cries pitifully. And when I waked his father up and told him, he sat up in bed staring over his whiskers and said should he come up. But when I'd managed to find the shirt and things, he was still in bed. You don't know what it is to live with a man that has no feeling. But you've washed him, Lizzie? I was finishing his head. Let me do it, child. I'll finish that. Poor lamb. Poor, dear lamb. Yet I wouldn't wish him back, Lizzie. He must have died peaceful, Lizzie. He seems to be smiling. He always had such a rare smile on him. Not that he's smiled much of late. I loved him for that. Aye, my poor child. My poor child. He looks nice, mother. I hope he made his peace with the Lord. Yes. If he hadn't time to make his peace with the Lord, I've no hopes of him. Dear o' oh me, dear o' oh me. Is there another bit of flannel anywhere? Mrs. Holroyd rises and brings a piece. The grandmother begins to wash the breast of the dead man. Well, I hope you'll be true to his children at least, Lizzie. Mrs. Holroyd weeps. The old woman continues her washing. Eh, and he's fair as a lily. Did you ever see a man with a whiter skin? And flesh as fine as the driven snow. He's beautiful. He is the lamb. Many's the time I've looked at him and I've felt proud of him, I have. And now he lies here. And such arms on him. Look at the vaccination marks, Lizzie. 
when i took him to be vaccinated he had a little pink bonnet with a feather weeps don't cry my girl don't sit up and wash him at that side or we shall never have him done oh lizzie mrs holroyd sitting up startled what what look at his poor hand she holds up the right hand the nails are bloody oh no oh no no both women weep grandmother after a while we maun get on lizzie mrs holroyd sitting up i can't touch his hands but i'm his mother there's nothing i couldn't do for him i don't care i don't care prithee prithee lizzie i don't want thee going off lizzie mrs holroyd moaning oh what shall i do why go thee and get his feet washed he's sitting stiff and how shall we get him laid out mrs holroyd sobbing goes kneels at the miner's feet and begins pulling off the great boots there's hardly a mark on him eh what a man he is i've had some fine sons lizzie i've had some big men of sons he was always a lot whiter than me and he used to chaff me but his poor hands i used to thank god for my children but they are rods of trouble lizzie they are unfasten his belt child me man get his things off soon or else we'll still have such a job mrs holroyd having dragged off the boots rises she is weeping curtain end of act three end of the widowing of mrs holroyd by d h lawrence 